0: welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. Um, I'm your host and I'm very much excited about today's episode because she is a dear friend of mine and I feel like not everyone really got to get to know her when she was on our season of The Bachelor. Uh, But I also have some exciting news before we get into today's episode. Um, I will be hosting the first ever like specifically Let's Talk About It uh, event, a live podcast event uh, here in Seattle. So April 13th, um, I'll be hosting a live podcast with some awesome women here in Seattle who are just like badasses and just doing badass women things. And so really want to highlight them and have them on to share some of their story. And uh, the whole theme is just going to be to kind of like feel all of our feelings because I got a lot of them. I know you guys got a lot of them. We all got a lot of feelings and it can be difficult to process and just want to help like create a safe space for um, everyone, listeners of the podcast, people who just know me from the show, people who've never heard of me before and just have a lot of feelings and <laughs> want some support and want to find some community. So um, I really have loved hosting this podcast with you guys for over a year now and you know, it can be while I get to meet with super awesome people and have these awesome conversations, it also was a tad bit isolating from you guys. And so uh, I really want to actually like see your faces and hear, you know, what you're going through and actually have a conversation with you guys. So um, definitely if you're in Seattle, if you're in the greater Seattle area, um, definitely come on by. You can get tickets. The link is in my bio on Instagram. So if you go to at Uh, The link in my bio will be two tickets and for a little discounts, you can use Taymoca 10 to get $10 off for VIP. Uh, And so in VIP, we're going to have like some food and just like some time before the show to um, talk and just going to have more of like an intimate hangout. Um, I got to say, I'm going to be honest since this is about feeling all the feelings. um, I'm very nervous to do this. Uh, I'm excited to meet all of you, but I've never... I've never hosted an event before and so I'm learning all kinds of things. Um I've I've done live podcasts before and I've been guests on other live podcasts but um not ever done one that's just me. So it's a whole new experience for me. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to actually sharing it with you guys. And you know, I know all the stress and the anxiety of putting it together will pay off when we're all in the room together, feeling our feelings and creating a sense of community. So um, I'll leave it at that. I'm, I'm excited and I hope you guys come because I, I honestly very much want to meet you guys and um, just extend these conversations. So uh, again, that's April 13th. And the link is in my bio on Instagram. I actually put the link um, in our episode notes here as well. So you can check it out there. Um, but to switch gears, uh, today's episode... I absolutely love this chick. We literally will FaceTime for hours and talk about everything. Like we'll talk about relationship stuff. We'll talk about mental health stuff. Um, Just really nothing's off limits. Talk about sex um, and she's amazing and I really want you guys to get to know her a little bit better and... uh, yeah, I don't really know how else to introduce her, but she's just amazing. And um, we should get started with it now. Why wait any longer? So um, thank you so much, Jacqueline. Welcome to the show. And I'm so, so, so excited to finally have you on. So welcome, Jacqueline, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I've wanted you on like for so long and... I remember when I watched you on Ari's season and I was like, she seems like someone I'd be friends with.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we are friends. Yes. And I mean, be it's going interesting talking it's, in this podcast format.
0: <laughs> I know. Right. It's um, it's always interesting because like you do watch other people on the show. And I always I try really hard to not judge people based on what's shown. And like there were definitely some people from your season that I was like, oh, yeah, I think I'd be friends with her. And then I was like, friends with her so i'm really glad that my judgment worked out well with you and that um we've been able to establish a friendship and honestly when people ask me now they're like oh like who do you keep in touch with from the show and blah blah blah. and i'm like oh you know like i have my good girlfriends like from my season but like also jacqueline is the bomb i'm like (laughs) i fucking love jacqueline so much and i'm like people just like don't know. Like <laughs> she's amazing. <laughs> so I'm really glad to have you on finally. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, so we, there, there are so many different topics we could talk about, but I think yeah. maybe to kind of start off, you have just gone through a process that I think a lot of our listeners can relate to and can maybe take some advice on. Um, I know. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. We're recording from a New York apartment.
1: <laughs> we just, okay, so
0: some context on this episode today, we were supposed to record like an hour ago and then my neighbor um, was cleaning upstairs, had a cleaning uh, service upstairs and it was so loud and so we had to push back the recording in like an hour because we didn't want any like background noise, but... I guess we forgot to account for the fact that Jacqueline's in an apartment in New York (laughs) with all kinds of sounds.
1: Yeah, it's either this or a frenetic saxophonist or someone singing show tunes. So that's... Yeah. I can't go in my bedroom because you'll get the show tunes.
0: (laughs) Um, So yeah, not not a terrible problem to have, but um, I think... Like I I was saying, you've gone through a process that I think a lot of listeners can relate to and could potentially use some advice on and I get a lot of questions about as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So you just got finished with the process of applying to grad schools Um, and I think a lot of people when they watched you on the show, they thought that maybe you already were in grad school or that you already were like a psychologist. Yeah. do you want to yeah. clear the air on that? And
1: <laughs> uh, sure, yeah, I was not. I was not in grad school. <laughs> that's, that's the air clearing. I mean, you know, the conversation. I, I don't. It's not that. It's not that the edit directly lied to anybody. I think it's mm-hmm. just that you know people filled in the blanks and like yeah. made assumptions.
0: And there's context uh, that's always uh, lacking when you watch yeah. a TV show like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, essentially, it was a conversation with Ari where we he was talking about doing long distance. And I was like, why would we be long distance? And he said, well, because you're in New York in a program. I was like, no, I'm not. Um, that's a few years down the line, but this is a part of my life. And we would have to account for that as a couple. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is six years. So, and, Mm -hmm. and that's why people thought that I was in the program at the time. Like I was leaving to go back to my program when in reality, um, I I, I left for for a combination of my job wanted me back and I was not going to marry Ari. I was pretty certain (laughs) about that. (laughs) No shame, Ari. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think it's for me that like... I don't usually go back and like discuss specific scenes in The Bachelor, but that scene yeah. in particular um, felt very empowering and I felt like very proud for you to stand up for yourself like that. And I think just kind of in a way set a tone for like how to still, you know, be in a relationship but also prioritize your career goals and not have your entire life and career revolve around what your relationship is going to be, but instead to take this different approach and say, you know, yes, I, we can enter into this relationship, but also know this is where I want to go in my life.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been, um, so, so like I'll, 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 get into where I am in my career in a second, but my love life revolves around my career, which is, I haven't been able to fully vocalize that yet because I haven't been proud of my career. I haven't been, mm-hmm. I haven't been making much money. I haven't been in school. Do you know what I mean? Like everything Mm -hmm. I've been doing have been these baby steps for like getting into a career. So it's not like I walk around New York city in stilettos, carrying a coffee, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like this big career woman. (laughs) Yeah. But still
0: you got goals.
1: Right. Well, so the reason that my relationships revolve around my career is because my location is completely up to fate Mm -hmm. and like I just haven't been able to meet anybody and know that I could take that relationship to its like, you know, maximum conclusion while knowing that like I'm I, I will have to leave wherever I am. Or mm-hmm. or, I, or I just won't know. And that's been really frustrating.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but that's about to change.
0: And why is that, Jacqueline? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, it's amazing that we scheduled this call for today because when we scheduled it, this hadn't happened. But, I mean, I got into my dream school yesterday. Dream school. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, shit's real now. It's like, yeah, I know my fate. I know where I'm moving. Yeah. I am leaving New York. Holy moly. Yeah. I had gotten into another program about two weeks ago. Yeah but I didn't really want to announce anything like, because I, I was still waiting on this school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this school really tortured me, yes. but it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for
0: you. I remember when we were Thank talking you. a few weeks ago and it was, yeah, you'd gotten into the one school, but it wasn't your dream school. And just yeah. the, the, the process is not an easy one. We'll no. say that. Um, but that's amazing. Thanks. <laughs> holy crap i mean you've been doing you've been this whole process essentially started when back in like back up five years ago but like the actual application process
1: yeah uh um application materials were due december 1st so Mm. i probably i honestly i applied to 16 well I, i i did the work of 18 applications in about 12 days. <laughs> so girl, <laughs> that's just how I talk about some games. work like, ethic took months to do it. And I was like, no, I'm not going to stretch out and be miserable. What I could do in two weeks, you know, yeah. like I'll just have an extremely miserable two weeks. And yeah. that's what I did. And it worked out.
0: Dang. So yeah. I am so freaking proud of you. Thank you. Uh,
1: it's wild. It, I mean this, when I say dream school, I don't just mean dream PhD program. I mean, This has been my dream school since the time, since I was born. My Mm. mom and sister went to undergrad there. Mm. Um, It's like, it's huge. And I, and I got rejected there for undergrad and it was like a huge Mm. deal. Um, Mm -hmm. And I had always said, you know, when this school reached out to interview me that I'm not, it's not spiritual, but I always, I was thinking like, God is either a poet or an asshole. Either (laughs) wants to like bring my life around in this beautiful story or break my heart with the same hammer. And Mm -hmm. I guess it's, Former, so
0: dang yeah that's so exciting
1: <laughs> thank okay, you yeah
0: yeah i didn't know that before we started recording so now i'm like so sidetracked i'm like oh my god we need to celebrate <laughs> this <laughs> yeah
1: I, yeah <laughs>
0: Okay. So a little bit of a side note here. I feel like people are always asking me about like what books I'm reading and I, you know how often I read. And honestly, it's so difficult to find the time to like sit down and read a book, which sounds so sad and I hate, but I feel a lot better about it because now I've been using Blinkist and they're a wonderful sponsor of the podcast that I want to share with you guys. They take thousands of nonfiction books and condense it down into just 15 minutes. So you can read or listen to a book, there are literally like like 8 million people using Blinkist right now. It's massive. It has a growing library from self-help to business to health to history, Um, so many things that you can learn on here and it just makes it so much easier when you're on the go and you can get all the main points of the book really quickly without actually having to read the entire book. And then they also have audio features that make it so easy. You can finish like four books in a day while you're just kind of on the go. Um, And it's a great way to just like continue your education. (laughs) I literally, I read the um, Michelle Obama book, Becoming, and it was amazing and was so, you know, again there's just such a long list of books I want to read and catch up on Brene Brown's new stuff, um, Braving the Wilderness, still haven't had a chance to sit down and read yet so blinkist is making it super easy um, to get all that content in and to just keep keep going on that personal development you know and right now you guys um, you guys can for a limited time um, get a special offer from blinkist that's just for you guys you go to blinkist.com slash Taylor to start your free seven day trial you know how many books you can read in 15 minutes in seven days that's a lot. (laughs) I would uh, take some notes maybe if you can on the go. Uh, But again, that's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Taylor to start your free seven-day trial. Again, that's Blinkist.com slash Taylor. Get to read in. I mean, it's a new year. We're going to start some new healthy habits here. Um, And again, thank you Blinkist for being a great sponsor of the pod. Um, And now we can kind of get back to our topic of the day. Um, I guess I want to talk a little bit then because the process that you went through to get to this place now was pretty difficult. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle when they're going through the application process and not just in the sense of like, you know, oh, making sure I have all my materials right and making sure that, you know, I'm scheduling these things on time and all of that, but the like emotional, uh, emotional. Kind of roller coaster that you go through when doing yeah. this um, is so real.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was hard. It was hard. I mean, up until this past week, I mean, I wouldn't say that I was depressed because I don't use that word lightly, and mm-hmm. also I have like a very long history of depression, and yeah. so. Um, but it was like I felt kind of dead inside, mm-hmm. and I, I, I say that sort of sardonically, like it. I just was walking through a little bit numb and like afraid to think Mm -hmm. about anything because every option was so terrifying. Like not getting in was so terrifying. Mm -hmm. Going to that other school was terrifying too. I actually loved that other school, but it just, it wasn't a a good financial situation. So it was just practically very scary. Mm -hmm. Going to the school that I actually got into is very scary because I have to move. Um, but it was like not knowing my fate, not being able to date, not being able to decorate my apartment. You know what I mean? Just like well, I've been life is in flux like, for so many years. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that like state of yeah. limbo is so difficult to be in and it creates so much anxiety. But like yeah. the crazy thing about it is even when like we think we have our life planned out, like we're still living in limbo just under this false sense of comfort I and know. stability, you know, because yeah. things could change at any freaking moment.
1: Yeah. the you know, The only real, the only thing that made this limbo really real is that Like if I had been in a relationship that was a year long with somebody that I was in love with and then got into this program, I'm almost positive I would have broken up with the person and gone to this program or we'd have done long distance. And it's pretty amazing to know, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and when I went on The Bachelor, it actually felt a little bit different because it was two years. And I guess it wasn't, I guess maybe that was more like a year. Ari and I would be together for like a year and a half now. Um, Mm -hmm. We would be like married or engaged that that would feel more solid yeah but other than that like any other relationship I just I haven't been able to fully engage in and oh. now I'm like moving somewhere for five to six years and
0: yeah uh
1: so so and, my priorities are shifting
0: yeah and dating and being in grad school is a whole other ball game
1: yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, I'm also moving south and like, I haven't, I don't know. I haven't really dated
0: Southern men in a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, within your program and within the university, there's people that are also, you know. Yeah. The, the, oh, it'll work hopefully out. it's a culturally diverse school. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I I know, I'm like, my program was very different. Mine was mm-hmm. a master's and yours is going to be, are you PhD or PsyD? PhD. PhD. Um yeah. So yeah, program very different, but yeah, I mean I started off in a relationship and then was single for a bit and I definitely have the opposite problem that you have. Like I very much struggle with um prioritizing career over relationship um, uh-huh. because more frequently I'm the I'm the partner to rearrange things in my life to be flexible and easygoing so that we can have quality time and so that we can really focus on the relationship. And then that partner gets the, you know, my partner then gets the support to focus on their career and do those things. So that's... Funny how that happens to women. (laughs) I know. And that's why I'm like, I admire you so much. and I think you're so strong. And I'm like, God damn. I'm like, that's really awesome that she's like this.
1: (laughs) I mean, look, if I, if I had more faith in, in, I don't want to say in men, but like in me and relationships, mm-hmm. then maybe I would be different, but yeah. I just have all of my relationships end fairly quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I don't know how to prioritize men over mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. What is, what <laughs> has been your longest relationship? Well, it was often and on and long distance over time period of three and a half years, but mm-hmm. we were not consistently together for, for very long chunks at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then another relationship that was like four or five months there. I mean, so really, really brief relationship history Yeah, for, you know, variety of reasons.
0: <laughs> Do Should we get into those reasons?
1: <laughs> I think mean, we can, I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, okay. One of the reasons is I have been moving every two years. Mm-hmm. And until I got to New York, I knew that I was, like, I like when I was in Charleston, I wouldn't date anybody seriously because there was absolutely no way I wasn't going to New York. So New yeah. York was prioritized. Got to New York, tried to seriously date for the first year, maybe mm-hmm. even the first two years. Um, and I, did, and I, I had one relationship that was, the four-month one, it was very brief, but that was because I ended it. He was very serious about me. Mm-hmm. And after that, you know, I mean, it, it is difficult to date in this city. I think it's difficult to date anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the time, you know, my third year here came, I was like, wait a minute, I shouldn't be dating anyway. I'm moving again. Yeah. So that always takes precedence. I also have never found relationships to be comfortable. Hmm. Um, And so it's always taken the person to tempt me into a relationship Mm -hmm. rather than a relationship to tempt me into a person. Hmm. So I, I don't tend to uh, be very flexible on my type of man. Um, I don't tend to be very flexible in like how I date. I I definitely expect to be, uh, wine and dined in the beginning, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like seduced because, uh, you know, because my single life is really rich and I, Mm -hmm. and I have a really active social life. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of settling into a relationship and like watching TV every night or being comfortable or, you know, that's very, it's not tempting to me. And so
0: yeah, that, well that means
1: that I'm I'm prioritizing excitement over support.
0: Mm-hmm. And I still yeah. think I don't think your relationship has to be one that's we sit on the couch from watch watch Netflix. Right, yes. um, I think you can still be very intentional in the relationship that you create and if you yeah. do find a partner that, you know, has a very rich single life as well and still wants to maintain some of that, that that could be an area where where that would work um i do think it's interesting the needing to be kind of like wind and dined and wanting that uh <laughs> seduction into a relationship because it's almost like um i don't need this so you have to make this look really good to me for me yeah. <laughs> to even <laughs> entertain the idea of this um yeah and i imagine that for you part of like the wine and dine is, and the seducing is like a lot of that chivalry coming in. Uh huh. And yes. I, I think, I don't know that, that we've actually talked about this yet, um, but it was something I talked about with uh, Liz, um, who does Vox Media's um, Consider This, and she's. Liz Plank? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I was just at her birthday party last night. Yeah, i would never met her, but I went with Emma. Yeah,
0: yeah, I saw you were there with Emma Gray, who's been on the pod as well and does the Here to Make Friends podcast, and yeah. love both of them so much. Um, but Liz is great, and we we spoke about uh, a lot about feminism, and part of that was about like this whole notion of chivalry, and yeah, I shared that like. My partner now has really challenged my feminism because (laughs) like part of me really wants that chivalry as well. Like Mm -hmm. I want you to pay for the full amount of dinner and I don't even want to have to ask like, do you want to split it? Like, do you want me to pay some? Um, Uh, Alligator
1: arms. Yeah. Like there's a huge
0: part of me that like doesn't want that at all. Um and he has really challenged me to be like, you know, if we want an equal partnership and if we, you know, if we're feminists, you know, then we should be splitting these things. And financially, it's been a huge conversation. Um, but even actually when he was just here, we, <laughs> we had this uh, incident over uh, his jacket. And Ugh. I was really cold. And when I get really cold, I'm like... And to my pants, like I don't have any time for anything. I'm just like, I need yeah. to get warm immediately. And I didn't have my jacket. And so I was like, Oh, like, can I have your jacket? And uh, there's many layers to this and, and we've processed it together. But essentially it was kind of this like I felt entitled to what was his and felt uh-huh. like, you know, in a in a sense of chivalry, he would have just been like, Oh, here, take my jacket, like let me keep you warm. Where, you know, to him, he's like go find your jacket or, like, <laughs> go walk five steps outside and we'll get in the car and then you'll get warm. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think it's it's interesting to, like, consider some of these different things with being feminist but also still kind of wanting that, like, traditionalism of chivalry.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know how to say this um, and I, I feel like I people won't like this very much, but I don't really hang my hat on feminism. I mean, I don't expect mm-hmm. my... I don't expect my like ideology to rule over my partner and me. I I would just rather have the dynamic that makes us personally happy. Mm -hmm. And I have never felt sexism strongly in my life. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of that is because I'm not sensitive to it. Mm -hmm. I am from like a matriarchal family. My mom always made more money than my dad. My sister makes the most money in the family. Career has always been something that the women in my family have Mm -hmm. done and that the men have respected. And so, and I like, and my, my mom and sister are both um very good looking and I think very charming and have mm-hmm. kind of wrapped like men have been wrapped around their peeking figures. So I've yeah. sort of seen a lot of power in being um in being feminine and kind of like using the mm-hmm. the differences between men and women to my advantage. Okay? Yes. Yeah. And that's sort of a Machiavellian thing to say. I recognize that. But my I guess my point is I was always raised to know that I would have a career, that my career would be important to my spouse Mm. and that that would be completely unquestioned. And that's just sort of the partner I'm looking for. And so, and I just don't, I don't think I've ever, well, that's all complete. That's not true. I was going to say, I haven't had a partner that has disrespected me to a a deep degree. And then I realized how extremely (laughs) false that statement would be. (laughs) Completely <laughs> false. But I don't know that it was because I was a woman. You know, I think it was because he's a narcissist. Yes. Like, yeah. It was just... yeah, yeah.
0: It, it so wasn't anything specific towards gender differences. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. There are there's just a lot, I think, of instances of sexism that I have experienced that I haven't conceptualized in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is I've been a that's been a difference between between a lot of other women and me. Um, and I I, I don't think that like they are wrong and conceptualizing yeah. things that way it just doesn't kind of it, that's just not how I yeah. model it well
0: um, I think it's a really good point that you brought up just in terms of how you were raised because I don't think yeah. I mean for me that was not at all the norm like my mom very much had to not had to but in order for their relationship to work you know he was in the air force and so in order for her and my stepdad to even have a relationship you know she kind of had to be at home and had to make sure that she was going to be available because yeah. he was going to be gone. And, you know, um, so growing up with that, it, there wasn't really anyone in my life that was a woman that was like, you know, career is important. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I can be a working woman and be with a man that respects that. Um, it just wasn't wasn't really a part of what I saw and what was in my yeah. family at
1: all. So it was an interesting difference it's amazing how much of a difference that, yeah, that makes. And and mm-hmm. I do wonder if I will start to become much more indignant, um, about sort of, you know, differences in gender roles when I become pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, when I suddenly have childcare to think about and to see if my career takes a backseat then, yeah. um, because I'm already conceptualizing, like, you know, I would be willing to be the part-time parent, assuming that my job allowed me to do that. But, uh, it, i I, I, but that doesn't feel that I, that kind of feels like a privilege to me at the same time mm-hmm. so I, it doesn't anger me yeah but for other women that is really annoying that mm-hmm. their career is always the one that is compromised yeah
0: well and I think you brought up um uh, first I'll say yeah I, I agree with you and I think it is difficult because on one hand I can understand that but on the other hand like it is a privilege in a way and it's not yeah something that I'd that I would personally be upset about. Um, okay, time for a short little break here. Um, we got to talk about sleep a little bit. Um, you guys know we have the amazing partner, Eucalypso, and their sheets I'm just honestly obsessed with. It's like it almost feels like a mix between like cotton and silk. Like it's super soft and just ultra light. And I'm always so cold <laughs> every time I get into bed. And so with Canada Man, it's a bit difficult because he gets like very, very hot um, and... It actually helps kind of stabilize our sleeping climate. <laughs> um, the eucalyptus sheets are naturally temperature regulated and are actually three times more breathable than cotton. So it really helps create just like a comfortable sleeping environment for both of us. Um, it's hypoallergenic and it's sustainable. About 99.9% of the materials are recycled and reused in their production process, which helps the environment and they're like the most eco-friendly sheets on the market. So. You should definitely check them out. You can go to eucalypsohome.com and use promo code Taylor, and you can actually take 15% off with free shipping on your entire purchase. That's E-U-C-A-L-Y-P-S-O home.com and use promo code Taylor for 15% off with free shipping on your entire purchase. So definitely check them out. And uh, now that we've talked about sleep, we can get back to the show earlier in the, in terms of feminism, you brought up that uh of using you know the the differences that we have to our advantage, and that's mm-hmm. something also that my current partner now has brought up um and I think there was actually like a I uh i want to say it was french women he speaks French and like loves French culture and all that nice. and so he um <laughs> yeah he <laughs> um brought up a reference to some i think it was like french uh woman like a group of women that like wrote some article and it was kind of around when i guess the me too movement was happening and um you know just kind of this popularization of feminism that i think comes in waves throughout the decades um where the whole emphasis of their of their statement was you know that Men and women are not equal, and that yeah. that they don't believe in feminism because women have a lot of other things that men don't, and men have a lot of things that women don't, and we can all use these different things to our advantage. And mm-hmm. um, I think I've read things even along the lines from people that are um, sex workers that are women and people you know who are dancers and whatnot who are like, yeah, I I get to do this, and this isn't necessarily isn't necessarily a option for most men to be able to do this and as a yeah. woman i i bring to the table these different things and i'm going to use them
1: yeah yeah um i mean i have complicated th- i i think that feminism is a very very broad concept that mm-hmm. has started to be used in a rigid way yeah um i mean i it saddens me when when women feel the need to reject feminism or calling themselves feminist because they don't seem to jive with the current feminist movement. I mean, Mm -hmm. because feminism to me just most basically means men and women should be considered and treated equally. But that doesn't mean treated the same, but like, you know, of, of equal value and importance and respect. Mm -hmm. And that is just something that seems obviously true. Yeah. um, Or at least obviously valuable. Like that's Mm -hmm. what we should strive for. So, but I, I mean, yeah, it it seems like there are, a lot of divisions within feminism between people wanting to reject differences between the genders and then mm-hmm. other people insisting on differences. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And it's
0: interesting because even with those differences, I still th- that like we can still be different and we can still also be treated uh, equally respectfully.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't well, know. I, you know, I don't want to be the same as men. Yeah, isn't that sort of the point? I mean, we we're championing femaleness, femininity, mm-hmm. um, you know, in 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 whatever in, in in that femininity that arises in us or in, in men, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. so the the more I think we insist that these differences don't exist, the more I, I feel that uh, femininity can be erased mm-hmm. a little bit, and, and that is sad to me. Yeah, um, but I, I'm not. I'm not really well enough i haven't researched this area enough to know exactly like where sex differences arise and and how
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i would say you i feel like you definitely hone in on some of that femininity and like you have a very for those of you who never met jacqueline never been around jacqueline um (laughs) i think i think you do have like a very strong like feminine presence
1: yeah Well, then that brings up the interesting question of how is femininity defined? Are we defining it, um, archaically? Like, Mm -hmm. so so it's, it's very difficult to talk about these issues without falling into a thousand different pits.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Like when I think of femininity, I think I'll ask you this too, to describe Mm -hmm. what femininity means to you. Um, But I think like the reason I feel that I feel that in you is just like there's a strongness, there's a warmness, there's a confidence there, there's, I don't know, like almost... And again, I even question this as I think it of like, I want to say that there's like a gentleness and a strongness at the same time. And it's like, yeah, yeah we have very much this engraved notion that like women are gentle and women should be gentle. Um, exactly. But it, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do think um, that there are some really like beautiful things to being a woman. Um, and I don't right. know. I just, I feel like that presence when I am around you.
1: Well, thank you. Um, I'm very, very proud of being female and of femininity. Um, I don't know how to define it. I I start feeling... Like, I I get very, very hesitant every time I would try to to define femininity because it feels like I'm falling back into sort of a gender role type, Mm -hmm. you know, way of defining it. But that... That's problematic sometimes, and it's not problematic another time. You know? Yeah. Like I don't want to say like why is that
0: like a negative thing to feel like that's right. beautiful, like or that there's a gentleness or a warmness or a nurturing. Like none of those things mm-hmm. are negative. Right.
1: Right. But it's yeah.
0: it's hard because yeah, you don't want to be like is that what it means to be? F- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I didn't see us going down this road. <laughs> it means something different for everyone and there's, there's no right or wrong. Um, but yeah, I do want to get back a little bit to like relationship type stuff because we, that's something you and I talk frequently about. Um, Uh and with kind of, you know, we've talked a little bit about, uh, the seduction part and needing to be kind of seduced into a relationship. Um, how I'm I'm curious for you because in your life, there's been a specific emphasis perhaps on mental health. Um, you spoke mm-hmm. about your mom being a very strong career woman um, and she's a psychiatrist. And so you've kind of yeah. grown up with with that kind of language and perhaps that emphasis. And so I'm curious like how how that's played a role for you, like growing up around that and, um, how that's kind of
1: impacted your relationships or how you go about them? Um, mental health was always openly spoken about in my house. I would Mm say, um, I grew up knowing that all of my siblings had mental health issues. Mm -hmm. I would say that I was depressed off and on for about 10 years Hmm. um, from like 12 to 22. And hmm. it would be like a full year of depression followed by a full year of like, I wouldn't say happiness, but okayness. And then hmm. another full year of depression was two peaks at 14 and 22. So, I mean, hmm. it was just always like, I was never particularly ashamed of depression. I think in fact, I glorified it a hmm. lot and that made it a lot worse because I was afraid of letting it go.
0: Yeah. Why um, do you think you glorified it? Or what did well, that look think, like to glorify it?
1: I think because I, I got, I became pretty depressive in adolescence. Mm-hmm. That is a time when, you know, you don't really know who you are. Your identity is in flux. And you're starting to watch all of this media around depression and around mm-hmm. suicide. And, and I think I mistook that for depth. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm a fine depression for me being deep and, they're not the same thing. Yeah. And so I I really I almost enjoyed being depressed. I I I mean it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And it I mean it it was absolutely awful to live with. It's not so much that I enjoyed the experience of it, but I I enjoyed it being a part of my identity. Yeah. I liked being a depressed person in a way. Mm-hmm. And I would I'd noticed that around the age of 23 when I had been I was, it was as healing, mm-hmm. like 23 was my healing year. I went to Asia for a month and that actually mm. helped things a lot. The, the biggest change that helped was me leaving my career and starting in psychology. But I mean, I had to move and home. What was that career? Uh, UX design, just like web design.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, that was, I mean, that was like the source of a lot of angst when mm-hmm. I was around 22. But um, I, you know, because I was still kind of getting my bearings and like strengthening myself... I, I remember I had like a a setback of some sort and all of those feelings were, it came flooding back. And I I remember feeling like I was home again, like I was home in the depression. Hmm. And I realized that I was treating depression kind of like a baby in, in wet laundry, like in wet clothes. Like it was something that was really precious to me, but that was horrible to hold. And I, I realized that I was allowed to put the baby down and walk away from it. Hmm. And it really felt like I was walking away from a A segment of my identity, but it was like a false identity. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. really me and my depth didn't disappear just because my depression did. And so making that decision has been a big part of like why I haven't been depressed since. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. There's like a really big, um, I feel like in in all the different kind of phrases that we hear around mental health, that one of them that we hear frequently is, uh, you are not your illness. Um, and I think there's a really important separation that happens even just in terms of when we talk about people, whether it's related to mental illness or not of saying like, you know, uh, you are bipolar, like you have bipolar or, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you're a liar or you lied, um, that- you know, someone has schizophrenia, they're not schizophrenic. Um, so I think it seems like very petty and small to call out that kind of a difference. But I think it makes a huge difference in terms of how you conceptualize yourself as a person.
1: Yeah. It's very important. I mean, so I think mean, this is too kind of technical to get into, but there's the DSM, which is, mm-hmm. as you know, like it it categorizes in labels. So like I study borderline personality disorder. Well, Mm -hmm. in reality, you know, there's nine symptoms and you only need five of them to count as BPD. Well, that means that there's like 200 some different ways, like personality Mm -hmm. types that can be BPD. And people are falsely saying like, this is who I am. This is my personality type. And there's a move now towards like a more dimensional model of getting rid of these labels, which I think is probably pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people do feel a sense of relief and of being heard and recognized for the first time when they get yeah. a diagnosis. Definitely, But I don't know whether that's good or bad. I mean, I because, you know, I... I remember when I like would go for my ADD medicine. Mm-hmm. My doctor was like, "You seem anxious. You seem like you might have an anxiety disorder." And I didn't think that I did, but I, I liked hearing that in a hmm. sick way. Well, um, because
0: it's it's interesting because as humans, we love to be able to make sense of things. We love yes. to put things in categories. We love, so love the labels.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: and it's it's really it's interesting because even when we talk about like the show and whatnot, it's like, yeah, you are kind of made into this one dimensional character so that people can make sense of you. Um, mm-hmm. And even when you said, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's that simple. Nothing I think yeah. is that simple and binary. And um, I think that there's always going to be things kind of on a spectrum. Um, and I, I think, yes, there's a sense that, you know, by identifying as a certain thing or being a part of a certain category gives you a sense of community, gives you a sense of um, self, can give you a sense of purpose, yeah. um, all of those things that I think can be really helpful to not feel alone. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think there there's a threshold where that becomes like how you experienced of uh, being your full identity and and in that you can kind of lose yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah it gives you something to Google too, you know? I mean, what's been mm-hmm. going on with me? Oh, it's BPD. Let me Google that. And now you kind of have a roadmap. So that, I mean, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is is good, but it's a false sort of security.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, reason?
0: I'm not surprised that we went to uh, the DSM, but <laughs> 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 but <laughs> I'm curious how growing up with this whole sense around psychology and around mental health, how that impacted, well, we already talked a little bit about how it's impacted like your identity, but then also like how that's happened within relationships. Like I didn't grow up with any of what you grew up with, but Mm -hmm. even for me, I'm like, I don't want to date someone that hasn't like done their work yet. Like, uh, so I I can only imagine and knowing some of the relationships you've been in, um, where there clearly has not been some work done, um, of like Mm -hmm. how you go about like what you're looking for. Like when someone is, um, kind of doing that persuasion and seduction of what that actually looks like. Uh... There were like multiple know. questions all in that.
1: So <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, I, I do really like somebody who can be open about his, uh, mental health, his mind. Um, have you done j- basically that? Basically like, just this interstate. Have you had that kind of experience? It's been very lacking. I don't think that yeah. the men I've dated have loved to go there. And the ones that have, I, I think have been a little bit false about it. Um, i You know men seem to get very uncomfortable with that i The person that I have a very strong feelings for now is pretty open about it, but not necessarily with me all the time um mm-hmm. i've heard him on podcasts and 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 it's i think his process with mental health has been like a big part of um his story and his career mm-hmm. and uh and i i I find that very attractive mm-hmm. um I do think that there's been a part of me that's looking, that has looked for men a little bit subconsciously who can take care of me. And I think that that has Mm -hmm. just more to do with me being the youngest child um, by a lot. So I kind of look for like the the father figure, the brother figure whatever. Mm -hmm. And so those men aren't as likely to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm kind of spitballing here, Yeah. but yeah. I mean, in terms of like, also just affecting dating like I do overthink a lot I'm very careful I'm Mm -hmm. like especially in fights my mom hears basically everything which men probably wouldn't love they knew that Mm -hmm.
0: Um, yeah no I mean my mom's not a uh, psychiatrist but you know for most of my life that's how it's been like uh, she's gonna hear everything or someone else is gonna hear everything like my friends it's just I'm I'm an open book I'm gonna process details with my friends and family um and it's not like I'm talking shit about people or anything like that you know but it's just it's it can be really good to just be able to process that and share that in a safe space with someone you know
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if men realize how much women talk to their friends (laughs) and to their mothers because we get in trouble for this all the time. And I'm like, do you not understand that you're going to deal with this with your next girlfriend too? Mm -hmm. Like we can break up over this, but it's foolish because it'll come up again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, time for a little break here. It's actually time to switch gears and talk about bras. Um, We all use them and they can be really difficult um, and really uncomfortable. So I want to share with you guys, one of my favorite partners here for the podcast, um, Third Love, who you might've heard me talk about before. They honestly have like the most perfect fit. They have more sizes than most brands. They actually offer 70 sizes um, and that includes their signature your half cup sizes because you know everyone's not going to fit into the basic sizes. It's just not how our bodies work. Um, They also make it so convenient. You can skip the trip to the store and uh, find your fit with Third Love's online fit finder. You can order it and then try it on at home. So there's no like awkward fitting room experience if you don't feel comfortable in that kind of setting. Um, I've absolutely loved my bra. They they also actually have really cute underwear there. Um, But it's hands down the most comfortable bra, bra that you'll own. The straps, they don't slip. Uh, there's no itching it's super lightweight with like thin memory foam cups that actually hold your shape so I highly highly recommend checking them out uh, Third Love honestly they know that there's a perfect bra for everyone and so right now they are offering you guys 15% off your first order so Go on over to thirdlove.com slash taylor now and you can find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off of your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash taylor for 15% off today. And now we can get back to the show that we've talked about bras. (laughs) Part of why I asked about like your dating and how that, you know, the knowledge around mental health and experience around that, how that impacts it because I think there's so much of like a stigma around people who are either in the helping field or uh, just people who kind of like know what they're talking about when it comes to that kind of stuff, that there's mm-hmm. this layer of intimidation. And then there's like this different standard that you're held to where, you know, if you do anything that's not smart or that's, you know, oh my God, totally contradicting that you were then like completely... um, You know, lost complete credibility and everything. And it's like, I know for me in dating, I've had to, you know, even in other relationships with like family where I've been told, you know, like, don't try to therapist talk to me. And it's like, I I can only imagine like having that in your family and then with dating and then meeting your mom and knowing that, that there's, that that's like a whole other layer of intimidation.
1: (laughs) I mean, most people have been nice. I, I imagine you've gotten it worse than me because you already have a degree and you are a therapist. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like an expert in mental health yet. You know, yeah. I mean, like, I, my, my my jobs have been, like, I'm helping somebody else be an expert. But I will say that my boyfriend, um, the one that was terrible, uh, <laughs> I was dating him during that career transition. And he, you know, we would fight. And, like, anything I would say or do, he'd be like, well that's not how a therapist would act or like, you don't, that doesn't, yeah. Yeah. You can't be a therapist and think that way. Those kinds of comments. And Mm -hmm. it's like, fuck you. I'm Mm -hmm. not your therapist. Mm -hmm. If you pay me $200 for an hour, I will treat you like a therapist would. Yep. Yeah. And I
0: think there's really this like absurd um, mindset that therapists are therapists, their entire day all the time. and <laughs> yeah. throughout yes. their entire lives and that they don't have any room to just be a freaking person. Like, yeah, I might work as a therapist, but my full identity is not that I'm a therapist. Right. You know? Um, I mean, there's a
1: reason we get, well, therapists get paid because it's exhausting. You mm-hmm. know, like you can't put in a relationship, it can't all be about your partner all the time. Yeah. Like, you have to be allowed to ex- to express. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that was
0: Yeah. Do you feel like you have to, in a way, like, kind of push down some of those skills? Like, I, I always find myself in a bit of a conundrum because... I'm told on one hand to use my gifts and be the bigger mm-hmm. person and you know use these skills that I have to help relationships and then on the other yeah. hand I'm told you know don't talk to them like you're like they're your patient and you know <laughs> like all of that so it's like uh, okay well which way am I supposed to go
1: here then I feel a lot of pressure to not uh express emotion very much like I can mm-hmm. express maybe loving emotion. Yeah. But I don't feel like I can express anger. I don't feel like that's solely because Mm. of the therapy thing. I think it's also because... That's also partially, like, a woman thing, I feel like. It's a woman... Yeah, I don't want to be seen as psycho. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I definitely think that women are at the shitty end of the, like, deal of... I? I always try to be careful when I, like, you know... Sometimes it can feel like that. Yeah, I mean, but, but, but men, I mean if men get really angry, then that's even worse because then they become aggressive or intimidating. Mm -hmm. So we, we definitely, you know, have expect men to, to be controlled, but women are the ones who I think are seen as crazy. Yeah. Um, and I'm like very resistant to, to that. Mm -hmm. And I, I put a lot of effort into not, not being angry, not being impulsive, like, hearing his perspective, considering a thousand different perspectives. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is tiring because I, I don't feel like in relationships that you receive the same, A, that I receive the same or that B, I could fully express myself and not be left, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, because it's so hard to not get left in the first place. Even when I do put all this effort into it, being. Girl, it's so real.
0: (laughs) So real. I, one piece of feedback I very frequently get, um, from, and specifically one of my very good male friends is that I use very harsh tones of voice sometimes and that like to to reel that in, in a way and to use, you know, softer tones when I'm trying to, um, you know, give feedback on something or when I'm trying to talk with someone about something that hurt my feelings or that frustrated me to in a way soften it so that they can hear me. And yeah. I... It's like I understand part of what he's saying and I get that. But the other part of me is like, no, fuck that. If I'm pissed, I'm pissed. And if I'm right. hurt, I'm really hurt. And you know what? Like this other person is going to have to feel and and hear and allow space for me to express that because I, I wouldn't want to be in a relationship or a friendship where I felt so much that I had to censor myself to be, you know, completely... Uh, completely correct, completely um, kind of watered down a bit. And again, yeah. this kind of goes back to like the whole category thing and being a one-dimensional character where it's like, no,
1: we're very complex. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of feelings. I mean, I think this is why though, like relationships are not comforting to me because honestly, it they, it takes so much work to even exist in them, like to get to the point where I can even raise my voice or cry or... And mm-hmm. I do cry really easily. So that usually does come out early. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I mean, my mom always taught me, she's very strategic, like ch- change indignant, like, oh God, I always change igni- indignation or anger into disappointment or sadness. I think my mom kind of edges on being a bit of a professional victim. And so, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it, it, I mean, it does typically seem more powerful, yeah. like, Nothing. Nothing turns people away like. In, it, wow, I can't say it. Indignation. <laughs> uh, yeah. <Use> that word. <laughs> but like sometimes you're fucking indignant, you know? Like yeah. sometimes shit's annoying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's. And, and I think
0: like part of it, you know, that makes it frustrating is that, at least for me, and I'm sure for you too, you're already doing this kind of internal work to try to process it and to try to cope with it, and then the fact that you can't even. Work through that expression of it as well. To me, mm-hmm. is feels like unfair and just kind of shitty.
1: Yeah, which is why I just think it would be such a relief to date somebody who really knows himself and really is capable of like. Because I I also think that kind of exploration is interesting. Mm-hmm. That like, who are you? What's going on? Why do you react this way? How do you fight? Like, I think it would be mm-hmm. really really fulfilling to have a relationship with somebody where we can explore those things. And that means that he gets to be angry sometimes. So do I. And then we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of men find that incredibly exhausting. Yeah. Um, so I haven't really gotten to do that yet. Yeah.
0: I'm definitely at that point right now. I'm at like seven month mark over here. And uh, there's definitely new things that come up that allow us opportunity to process and understand where each of us are coming from and where you know where this is being triggered from and how we deal with it and it is hard because it does take so much emotional energy and it I don't like saying it takes away from other things but I know Mm -hmm. especially when both of us are like working our asses off and like trying to get as much work done and then trying to just enjoy time together it does feel like it takes away Um, yeah but, I think, at the end of the day, like that is that is the core of the work that you really have to put in, not only for yourself but also for a relationship, um because otherwise you're not you're not allowing yourself to A, show up in the relationship, which means you're not really having an authentic connection. And then when you're just having a flimsy, you know, Instagram connection, you know, for like to look pretty, like that's not, that's not sustainable. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all.
1: (sighs) Relationships. I I, I feel like I, I feel lonelier when I'm dating than when I'm single. And it's it's just but some someday that'll change, whatever. I, I get to be such a downer when I talk about dating. And then other times I'm like, oh, I'm such a heartbreaker. It depends on who's <laughs> if I've been dumped last or if I've done the dumping last. Yes. And so yes. yeah.
0: <laughs> Most of our conversations I feel that we have about dating are quite exciting. Um, <laughs> not at all downers definitely can get like a little bit deep and, and I hear you on that, but most of the time it's really exciting. And I think our conversations are exciting in that way because we both have like a strong passion to explore relationships and yeah. to not limit ourselves in terms of a, what, how we can be in them and b what they can actually look like. Um, exactly. And I yes. think, I think that's really rare. Actually, to find in other people, because I think we mostly want to stick with what's comfortable to us, and most of that is what's traditional and yeah. a lot of what's traditional doesn't fucking work, like most marriages yes. end in divorce, like most <laughs> most relationships traditionally, the way that we go about them don't fully work and I think especially when we have like this wave of social media and how relationships look there too that like, I don't know, maybe I'm just being pessimistic and maybe there is more of a wave of doing deep internal work with relationships. But on the other hand, it also just kind of feels like we're not and we just want to be in relationships because we don't want to be alone.
1: Yeah. Huh. I have a lot of thoughts. The first being that I... I think what we fundamentally agree on is that we shouldn't expect or we shouldn't accept a template for Mm -hmm. a relationship. Like, oh, this is what a relationship looks like. These are the rules they've been written by somebody else. Mm -hmm. If we break them, then obviously it's terrible. when I, you know, I I had a flirtation with polyamory and what I liked Mm -hmm. about it was you don't get to make those assumptions. And so Mm -hmm. the relationship automatically becomes much more intentional. Like, you know somebody does something that pisses you off you can't just be like oh well that's wrong that's not how relationships work it's like well no we're inventing the rules of our own relationship mm-hmm. we're seeing what works yeah i think the problem with certain, with like polyamory in particular is that it can be very difficult to maintain if there isn't community support yeah. so the reason we have these templates is because other people buy into them and it makes it it makes it easier to mm-hmm. know how to act yeah um and so it's automatically more challenging and you need somebody you need a partner who is very introspective and very Mm -hmm. open and that's hard to find. For both men and women. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you um did you ever watch the docuseries on Showtime Polyamory? No. Um so there's two seasons of it. There might not be a third season, I'm not totally sure. Um I really enjoyed the first season. The second season felt kind of like it made me uncomfortable. I didn't really like the second season. Um And I think partially because they showed more of people that were like kind of trying out polyamory for the first time, which Mm -hmm. in some ways, yes, I I still learned a lot from it, but it also felt like it was uh, displaying poly in a way that was like over-sexualized. And there was no communication in some of these instances where it felt like it was a very dangerous example of what poly is. So I didn't particularly... I just, I had some issues with the second season, but the first season, I think there were several relationships that did a really good job of actually showing how important that communication is in a kind of poly relationship where like... There was so much internal work being done and so much group work being done between everyone that, you know, for me being someone that like loves doing that kind of work is like, oh, this seems like so much fun. Um, But it is, I think, very difficult to actually explore unless both people or everyone involved is on board with doing that kind of work. And then that you also do have a community around it because when you think about it, most of the people that you know in your life are monogamous. Yeah. And
1: I, I do think that you pointed out something important, which is in the poly community, I think it has been hypersexualized. Yeah. And I think that that is because when you have a community, it's like, okay, well, what is going to keep this community coming together? Well, what's the one thing that binds us? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's having multiple sex partners or multiple yeah. romantic partners. Okay. So then that means that the events we'll do together are going to be based on that. Mm hmm. And so then you have things like sex parties, which are fine. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think it, it's mistaking. It's like the force through the trees. Like it, it's, polyamory isn't so much about sex as it is about, mm-hmm. r- you know, redefining love as something yes. other than possession or ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, learning to, to be happy for your partner, exploring various facets of his yeah. identity that you can't complement mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's a, that's an emotional thing. It's mm-hmm. not a sexual thing. It, it, sex can be part of it. But yeah. So so I just, I think that a lot of times these communities or these relationships fall apart because they're almost focusing on the wrong thing and mm-hmm. the community is maybe focusing on the wrong thing.
0: Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And there's, I think, you know, when I talk with my friends, because obviously... Like I said, you and I talk a lot about relationships and the different kinds of relationships we can have. And even with my other friends, I would talk about this a lot. Um, and I think there's a big, I think, I think that there's a lot of confusion around hearing someone say that someone's in an open relationship versus poly. And I think mm-hmm. people see the two as the same sometimes. Um, and I'm curious for you what your... Differences are in again kind of the labeling and the categorizing of these things of defining what an open relationship is versus how you see poly relationships happen.
1: Um, I don't know if this is technically correct, but I see poly as more of an umbrella term. Like, polyamory Hmm. means you can have multiple, uh, you know, relationships, and then there are various types of polyamorous relationships. Hmm. So, an open relationship to me would mean okay, you have a primary partner, but there is some arrangement that you have uh, where you can have like other sex partners or other sexual experiences. If somebody said they're in a polyamorous relationship, I, would, I wouldn't I would assume so quickly what it is, but it, it mm. indicates to me more like maybe I have two partners, like two defined partners or three or, but there's just so many different mm. um, combinations. It could yeah. be, you know, they could have their own partners and it, and it webs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How would you describe it or define it?
0: Well, for me, this is kind of how I've gone about like differentiating when I when I talk with my friends and I think an open relationship is usually like a don't ask, don't tell. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there's been kind of this wave even like with the dating apps and stuff where... You know, you're maybe dating someone for like a few months, but there's no exclusive talk yet. And you're just kind of like, yeah, it's just kind of like an open relationship. Like you don't talk to that person about the other people that you're seeing, but it's kind of just like this understood of like, yeah, like we're not exclusive, but like we're seeing each other and it's just kind of open. And then I yeah. think there's also the open relationships that literally are just people are um, are for the most part exclusive to themselves, but then will just have kind of a unspoken agreement that, you know, if you want to hook up with someone else, that's fine. I just don't want to know about it. So to me, that's kind of what an open relationship looks like. And I differentiate that from Polly because to me, Polly is very inclusive and Polly is very much focused on the love and like the, um, not only the sexual relationship, how I view open relationships, but also on the emotional relationship because... At least in in my experience, and in you know my um, uh, I guess somewhat education around poly, um, that typically these are like very deep relationships that people are developing with more than one person and. Yeah again, that's you know, what we see like every season of The Bachelor, where it's like, oh my god, I'm in love with two people, and I never thought I could do that. And now I have to <laughs> pick one, and oh my god, what am I going to do? Um, and it's like... Oh don't have g-. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like in some cases, you don't have to. Um, and I think, I don't know, just that, I would definitely recommend people checking that out. Um, the docuseries, Polyamory on Showtime, again, I, I learned a lot from that first season. Um, and... It was just, it, it was very eye-opening to all the different kinds of relationships that you can have. But yeah, I, I definitely distinguish poly with just being more inclusive. Everyone involved understands, and everyone involved knows. Um, and there's yeah. just a lot of communication around that. And uh, I don't know, it's 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 very interesting, and I'm I'm happy that there are more conversations happening now about relationships outside of monogamy um, because I think we've seen and in, in so many ways that sometimes monogamy is not the best answer and sometimes monogamy doesn't work for everyone.
1: Oh, I've struggled a lot with wondering whether I can be monogamous, mm-hmm. whether it's the best for me. I do not think that polyamory is better for me. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of intrigued by monogamish. Monogamish. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you define monogamish? As being for like, is that like open-ish? Open-ish. <laughs> open-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it, like, so my ex and I had a policy where we could kiss anyone we wanted, but mm. that was it. Mm-hmm. And it actually worked really well because it meant, because the, the slip up, I can be pretty flirtatious mm-hmm. and the slip up that I am most likely to make in terms of if I were ever to cheat would be to kiss somebody mm-hmm. while drunk. Now, would you
0: guys tell each other that you had slipped up or that you had had that experience with someone else? So he wanted,
1: yeah. So he wanted to, st- I don't think it wasn't like a demand. Yeah. I didn't care if he told me or not. Um, he was turned on by it. So mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. That's what he said. Cause he, he, he had been polyamorous for like 10 years or maybe it was five, but like oh, wow. a very yeah. long time he had been very poly um, and was very in that scene. Um, and I didn't have much interest in that. Yeah. Um, I also don't really like community very much. So I didn't want to be dating within a community. I know that's an odd thing to say, but it, I just, I don't. I like keep my friendships separate, separate my relationships separate. Yes. Um, they can come together okay. sometimes, but I hate to like whenever people describe going to church or even Burning Man as like a sense of community. I'm like, yeah, I, that's maybe that's why I didn't like Burning Man that much because I did not like the sense of community. I just don't, hmm. I don't connect with it. It's so strange. Um, hmm. And I never went to church growing up, so there was just never that kind of that yeah. sense. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so we kiss other people, and that was good. Um, I think for mm-hmm. me, monogamous means okay you know, you are my partner, you are my love, but we understand that relationships develop over time yeah. and they change. Mm-hmm. And ultimately I want to do whatever is going to keep this relationship afloat. Yeah. And that might mean changing our dynamic every few years mm-hmm. or trying new things, yeah. realizing that they might fail coming back, but, and, and then not breaking up because of minor indiscretions. Mm-hmm. Cause I cannot imagine breaking up with somebody for, kissing someone else or even having like a one night stand. I mean, kind of depending on when in the relationship and how strong our bond is affairs are like that's no go zone. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've always fundamentally understood that people are going to be intrigued by others and they're going to have relationships with others. And when they are in that moment with that other person, it doesn't feel wrong. Mm -hmm. It feels like you're honoring this other relationship. And it's in retrospect that you realize that you dishonored a more important relationship. And that's, that's very, I think, difficult for people. Um, yeah.
0: Well, even just because I had shared, um, I want to say it was like a few weeks ago on Instagram and people wanted me to touch on this more. And so I'm glad we're touching a little bit on it now, even though our episode is going to be a long one. Um, (laughs) It's it's such a good topic. uh, And I definitely want to do another episode specifically on this. But yeah, I think it is really difficult for people to grasp because even just the notion like... Uh, Jay Shetty, who's like a very well-known, you know, he just like very inspirational stuff. Um, yeah. He had posted a quote that was like, um, you know, if you like someone else, that means that the person you love, you don't really love. Something along those lines. I totally disagree with that. And Dan Savage, who I love, uh, he does a Savage podcast um, here in Seattle and writes for The Stranger and does like a love column, all this stuff. And he had pointed out that like, this is really toxic for people to read and this is not true. And Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, one thing I've always said in every single one of my relationships is the person I marry is not going to be the one and only person that I for the rest of my life have sex with. Like, that's just not, I just don't see that for me. Like I'm, I'm going to want to explore. I'm going to find other people attractive and that's not okay. I mean that, that, that is okay. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I no longer find you attractive. It's just that, I'm going to find other people attractive and I might want to explore sexual experiences with them or we, we might want to include them in our sexual experiences. Like there's so many different um, possibilities and I think you have to really have an open mind about them. And I think I'm sure a lot of the things that we've even said in just these (laughs) like 20 minutes have been um, perhaps a little disturbing for some people to listen to because it just goes so against um, what, what we've been told and and what
1: we see and what we've grown up with and and all of that. I I mean, I don't know completely how to describe this, but I think one issue is that I I, like infidelity doesn't make you a bad person. Mm -hmm. I'm very like my, my orientation around infidelity is very much along the lines of Esther Perel. So if anybody knows her, her. that's basically how I feel about. Yeah. Um, But the problem is that the outside world create circumstances that make it very difficult to get over infidelity mm-hmm. um like i was horrendously cheated on by the ex that i've talked about just awfully cheated on yeah. and that i mean he cheated to an extent that it was like i can never speak to you again i mean yeah. you're just terribly toxic at some
0: point the trust is just so incredibly broken like for me the right. biggest thing is like you got to be honest like i don't care what you do but like mm-hmm. you got to be honest with me
1: Right. Well, the problem is that even though I think he's a sack of shit, I don't think that necessarily my next relationship, if he has an indiscretion is, but what the problem is that I'm so damaged from that relationship. My, you know, my, my, I'm so vigilant in a way. Mm -hmm. It's not that I'm I'm not afraid of being cheated on. I'm afraid of being lied to, yeah. manipulated, and disrespected, and just inherently unimportant. Louder for the people in the bag, boo. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> well, when we have... And so I do think we have a society that does not does not reward men for being in relationships.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Very I just much we don't...
0: reward women for being in relationships. And in it, fact, absolutely. their worth is finally achieved when they are in a relationship, especially when they finally get to get married. They get to get married because they have to wait for someone to then ask them to get Mm -hmm. married.
1: And then we're the ball and chain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, women know this subconsciously. And so when we get cheated on, it's just another example of Mm -hmm. how men don't really want to be with us. They're never going to commit. It's impossible. So all of that, those that's not actually the cheating, you know? I mean, you can have a person who cheated because he had a moment that was very special with another person and it would have felt almost dishonest Mm -hmm. to not act on that moment. You know I mean? It's not bad to share intimacy with another person. The problem is that all of these other factors come in and and destroy the relationship because Mm -hmm. you can't conceptualize how you could have just been cheated on without having been disrespected, you know? Without mm-hmm. the relationship meaning nothing, like yes. all these things.
0: And again, I will say that, yes, if you have committed and the relationship that you have built has been one of monogamy and you do then cheat, then to me, I do think that you are then disrespecting that partner because... I, 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 yeah, I agree. Because you that's what your relationship has been built on. And unless there's like communication around that changing, mm-hmm. then it makes total sense to feel all those things that we just said because you were cheated on. But I... I
1: yeah. I agree. And I, I always end up sounding like I'm endorsing cheating. And I am not. All I'm saying is that mm-hmm. we do shitty things all the time and they don't mm-hmm. make us bad people and they don't yeah. make the relationship unsalvageable. Mm-hmm. Like you should, yeah, don't cheat on your partner. But the reality is, is that infidelity is not it happens at an incredibly high percentage, incredibly high. And so we as a society have this decision to make. Do Mm -hmm. we want it to destroy all of our relationships or do we want to find a way to move through it?
0: And again, Um, when we read things like that, you know, like that quote that I had said where it's like, oh, if you look at another person like that, that means you don't really love your partner. That is mm -hmm. instilling such a high amount of shame into us for even just finding another person attractive to to then where we do end up cheating because we're not actually open to having that, level of communication because we just, we just feel so incredibly shamed around it. And well we feel
1: like we've already transgressed. So if we've already transgressed, then you might as well continue Mm -hmm. along the line. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's so twisted. Yeah. (laughs) So again, I am not endorsing (laughs) cheating. I would be very hurt if I were cheated on and I do not want to cheat on a partner. Yes. Uh, Just, I just think the way we conceptualize it is Mm -hmm. it's, it's too much of a shortcut. What we're actually upset about are many other different dynamics.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely agree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This has been the most fun podcast (laughs) I think I've ever done. People are going to be like, this girl's weird.
0: (laughs) That's okay. You know what? Uh, We're multifaceted, multidimensional women. um, And that's amazing. That's wonderful. So it's okay. And we don't always have to make sense. Um, and I think it's really important to talk about this kind of shit and, you know, talk about what these things could look like and how they'd make us feel. And, um, I, I don't think, I'm sure we won't be alone in some of these thoughts, but I'm sure that some of them are also very new things for someone to be hearing. Um, so it's okay to think we're a little bit weird. (laughs) Um, well, yeah, I could obviously keep going for many more hours on all these subjects. Um, and I'm so happy that we finally got to have you on the pod to talk about some of this. Um, yeah, it's so, so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always like try to... Um, Whenever like a guest is coming on, you know, I'm always, especially if you are like from the show, um, I'm like, you know, we're just really like going to go wherever the conversation takes us. So like, we'll talk a little bit, you know, a general idea, but like, it's okay if we don't stick to a particular topic. Like, we're just going to go where this takes us. And yeah. this has taken us in so many, so, <laughs> to so many places, Jacqueline. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> Oh, no, no, we should probably wrap it up. <laughs> um, thank you again so much. Um, if people can, if people want to like find you and learn more about you and all of that, where can they find you?
1: Just at Trombolina on Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm going to be going maybe a little bit more undercover <laughs> coming, yes. coming years, but, um, but yeah, always yes. just at Trombolina. Oh gosh. And
0: that's another topic that, you know,
1: we were supposed to get to, but did it? <laughs> yeah. The
0: whole, like being a professional, but also having a public life and having to censor mm-hmm. things
1: and all of that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm learning and I will continue to learn.
0: Yes. Yes. And we will continue to talk about it on air, off air. We'll, we'll get to it one of these days. Um, but thank you so, so, so much for taking the time today to come on the pod finally and talk about all this and be vulnerable and be open and feel the feelings. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Okay. Well, that does it for today's episode. A little bit longer, but hope you guys enjoyed all of it as much as I did. Um, definitely send any other topics or people that you guys would love to see on the pod as guests over to it at gmail.com. And as always, love your reviews on iTunes. Uh, please head on over there to leave a rating or leave a review and let me know what you're liking about the pod. Um, and again, the event, April 13th. So, So I'll put the link to that in the episode notes. And you can also find the link uh, in my bio on Instagram. And I hope to meet some of you guys really soon. Ah, So have a good rest of your week. Hopefully you guys get some tickets and I will talk to you next time.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the
0: amazing, help save lives, and so can you.